Our lectionary gospel reading comes from the second chapter of Matthew, beginning at verse 13. Listen for the word of God. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That is our lectionary passage, and it's a passage that most pastors don't really look forward to reading or preaching on. But it's a passage that we should all attend to. And I'd like to begin with a story. <clears throat> the story is about Thomas Andrew Dorsey, known as the father of black gospel music. <clears throat> he was born in rural Georgia in 1899. He was a prolific songwriter and black musician, the son of an itinerant preacher and musician mother. He grew up in poverty, but he also grew up in the church. Drawn to the piano, he taught himself to play. He began his musical career playing in clubs in order to make ends meet. But he also played in churches, and eventually he devoted himself to church music, though there was initial resistance to his brand of gospel and blues. In August of 1933, when he was 33 years old, he was invited to be a soloist at a large revival meeting in St. Louis. 
His wife was pregnant and near the end of her term. He hated to leave her, but this was a great opportunity and she wanted him to go. Shortly after arriving in St. Louis, he received a telegram. It read, your wife has just died. He quickly returned to their home in Chicago to discover that his newborn son, Thomas Andrew Dorsey Jr. had died two days after his mother. Thomas Dorsey was a broken man. He believed God was unfair and who of us wouldn't believe the same? He gave up music and he considered ending his own life. And so we turn to our gospel reading for this morning. How can this passage speak to Thomas Dorsey and to us? It is a narrative about the survival of one child and his family, but also about the death of innocent children under the order of King Herod. This was, by the way, a time of prosperity under the Roman Empire. Yet Herod chose to rule with violence, even murdering members of his own family. He was the son of Jewish converts, but showed no reverence for Judaism. He rose to power during a period of civil unrest and created a peaceful kingdom for himself by means of political manipulation and oppression. When three Gentile astrologers from the East came to Jerusalem asking Herod where they might find the king of the Jews, you can imagine that Herod's world was turned upside down. He had to be sure that there would be no future threat to his kingdom. Joseph is warned in a dream to escape from Bethlehem with Mary and Jesus just before Herod's soldiers move in to mur murder all the males under the age of two. Barbara Brown Taylor has written that the first Sunday after Christmas, which of course happens today to be the first day of the new year, she writes, quote, this Sunday may be no better day to confront the truth that neither God's presence nor Christ's birth rids the world of horror and death. We in the United States live in a time of prosperity. and We consider the standard of living that we have compared to most other people in the world. We also live in an age where there is much violence. We are reminded regularly about the tragedy in Aleppo and its survivors who now suffer in refugee camps. And children die daily around the world from disease, accidents, terrorism, and homicides. We might naturally blame God for not being attentive to our needs and our well-being. If we think of Jesus as one man among others, it makes sense to wonder why there was no warning to the other parents in Bethlehem. Of course, Herod's, Herod's soldiers would certainly have 
chased after any fleeing families. Violence is never averted for long. Matthew's response in the Gospel to this question of evil is a confessional statement. Who is Jesus? He is not any man, he is every man. God took on human nature to bring saving grace to a hurting world. Jesus' life was preserved in his infancy, not for him to enjoy the, quote, good life, but so that he might demonstrate through his life the suffering presence of God caring for each person in life and beyond death. The saving presence of God was to be understood in the suffering presence of his Son, Jesus Christ. So that's the answer to the question in the sermon title. But it is, is it a satisfying answer? Danger, risk, disability, and death are an ever-present part of our lives. But God is present in our darkness and distress, a promise we can count on. And God is active in redeeming God's creation, especially humanity. A central theme in Matthew's gospel is the conflict between two kingdoms, one eternal, the other transitory. One governed by love, the other by power and forces beyond our control. There is death of innocence at the beginning of Jesus' life and at the end in his own death. Though Jesus' promise is that his death is not the end. God's dominion continually clashes with human powers that seek not to serve God, but rather to serve their own interests. This is fueled by a fear of losing control. To quote Yoda from Star Wars, Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. The message of the gospel is that God suffers with us. God continually asks us not to fear, but to trust God's care for us. We, on the other hand, continually look for ways to protect ourselves. Anger and hate close in on the manger. God responds this way. God's suffering presence is God's saving presence, where love redeems us in and through our suffering. But we must believe in God's promise to be present with us. We cannot guarantee that presence, not even through our religious rituals, we cannot locate that presence in time and space. We experience it in love when we meet Christ in a human relationship and find ourselves giving ourselves away to some purpose greater than ourselves out of love for others.
the Magi met saving presence in the infant Jesus when they discovered him in a Bethlehem stable. As a result of that encounter, they took a different road home, not the road back to the death-dealing Herod. On this first Sunday after Christmas, I think we should lay aside the sentimentality and magic of Christmas, which is truly disturbing to some who experience depression and anxiety in this season. Let's look at the crash and see only Mary, Jesus, and Joseph. No shepherds, no kings, no peaceful scenes with stable animals, only preparation for escape from destruction. And now let's look at our own experience when we perceive approaching tragedy. Escape may not, often is not possible. Where do we look for a sign that God is truly with us when the death of someone we love or a divorce or the loss of a job tears a vital source of meaning from our lives. I suggest that we won't find it in celebrations of Christmas, no matter how magical they might be. <clears throat> we may find it in the image of the vulnerable infant Jesus, the manifest reality of God with us. We can find it when our experience of Christ's love for you, for me, opens a path to light and love and away from death-dealing self-destruction. Jesus, the vulnerable infant, and Jesus, the vulnerable man, asked something very hard of us. He asked us to give testimony to God's faithfulness even when our world is collapsing around us. Think about the people of Israel when they were defeated and sent into exile in the sixth century BC. How would they provide testimony to the faithfulness of God? And consider the people of Bethlehem when their infants were slaughtered. What kind of testimony does a faithful person give in the face of death and loss? In an interview decades after the tragic death of his wife and son, Thomas Dorothy, Dorsey told about friends coming to see him that tragic day when he was grieving their deaths. The friends said things to him they hoped would be soothing and reassuring. He said, quote, nothing soothed me then and nothing has been soothing to me from that day to this day. A few years later, after the deaths of his wife and son, when he continued to be burdened with overwhelming grief and had not been able to do any work, two friends came to visit him. He told them, I don't know what to do 
or how to do. I'm just trying to talk to the Lord. One of the friends said, no, that's not right. It's not Lord, it's precious Lord. Now, what would you say to a friend telling you that you were not being respectful enough to the Lord, particularly when even trying to talk to God was a chore? I think it might make me a bit irritated. It reminds me of conversations that Martha and I have had with some members of this congregation working through grief after the death of someone that they love. A recurrent theme was irritation at religious platitudes directed to them for comfort when they weren't comforting at all. They simply wanted someone to be with them, not to try to talk them out of their grief or tell them to think differently about how to grieve. The comment by Thomas Dorsey's friend also reminds me of Job's friends coming to help him get right with God. Truly, they figured he must have done something to deserve the tragedies that had befallen him. There are those, of course, who still believe that. They believe it because they want to believe that life is fair and predictable, which it isn't. When tragedy strikes them, they cry out to God, because they have been treated unfairly. Mr. Dorsey was a man of faith. He gradually came to the conclusion that he could not blame God for the death of his wife and newborn son, but he didn't know what to say to God. He felt a deep lament, but he had no words. When his friend said, say precious Lord, he reports that he began to sing these words, which he believed were given to him by God. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, help me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand. Precious Lord, lead me home. When my way grows drear, precious Lord, linger near. When my life is almost gone, hear my cry, hear my call. Hold my hand, lest I fall. Take my hand, precious Lord. Lead me home. Thomas Dorsey, at a deep level, believed in God's faithfulness. He practiced endurance. I believe the presence of the Holy Spirit gave him those words from deep within his grieving soul. Through his endurance in the midst of his great suffering, he came to understand that God was and always had been suffering with him. God's purpose would win out, but this was a vulnerable God who in Jesus Christ was edged out of the world and onto a cross. In Jesus, he had a friend and a companion. 
Dorsey knew at a level deeper than consciousness that his Lord would guide him home. Home where a person finds rest in God. He went on to write hundreds of gospel songs, drew many into faith through the example of his own faith and his commitment to serving Christ. Please rise in body or spirit to sing his famous song and may it confirm in each of us God's persistent presence with us. 